We're nearing the end of my sermon series on our place in God's world. As I, as I thought about the topics uh, that, we've, that I've covered, um, we've covered money, we've covered um, time off, we've covered uh, justification and fitting into society. Next week we'll do technology, technology, and this week is sexuality. And I thought about a lot of the things that I'm covering, we think about a lot Monday through Saturday, but we might not think about them on Sunday and might not think that there's an intersection between our faith and these, these concerns. Uh, sexuality is one of those things I think we spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about it. We spend time talking about it. We spend time acting it out. Um, it's, it's pretty much in our minds a lot every day. Uh, you know, and, and sexuality is, you know, it's more than sex, but it includes sex. Uh, and there are all kinds of angles this sermon could take. You know, there's asexuality, there's, there's orientation, there's sexual scripts, there's marking and unmarking, there's... Um, bisexual, transgender, uh, there's two-spirit, cisgender, there's all kinds of stuff, and I know I can't cover it uh, at all. Last, last year, I taught a course at the School of Mission on sexuality and the Bible, and, and um, I thought it would be helpful for the class if I did a glossary of all the sexual terms that are out there as we talk about sexual identity. So I, uh, I, I printed that, that text, uh, that, that glossary for you today, and if you'd like to pick up the glossary, it's in the back table in a plain brown wrapper in the milling area. Uh, it's, it's my attempt at defining terms. Some, uh, several years ago, I was talking to a person, a, a United Methodist minister, who was on, on the fence on, on uh, acceptance of LGBT persons in the church, and he said, I just can't keep up with the alphabet. I just can't keep up with all the letters, and what's Q now? You know, so I, I talked to him about that. So the, the glossary is an attempt to answer some of that. It, it's on a green sheet back in the milling area. Um, <clears throat> this is a story that was told to me by a member of our church who is um, a big brother in, in the Big Brother program. And I'm going to tell it as he told it to me. About five years ago, I picked up my little brother, who was about 11 at the time, uh, from school. And he got in the car, and I said to him, what'd you learn in school today? And he answered me, as 11-year-olds do, nothing. And, and I said, well, you certainly learned something. What did your teacher talk about? And he told me we talked about, that the teacher talked about um, how salmon reproduce. So how, how does salmon reproduce, Victor? Well, the mother salmon swims upstream, and it's really difficult for her, and when she gets upstream, she lays her eggs. And then the father salmon comes by, and he... And at this point, Victor stopped and said to me, 
Should we be talking about this in the car? <laughs> so, you know, we have trouble talking about sex. As part of that school of mission, I uh, interviewed several of you uh, on various questions on sexuality. We have quite a spectrum here uh, of sexuality, and I thought it would be good at the school of mission for people to hear the, the, different, um, the different experiences and feelings people have around their sexuality. So um, about, we had about 20 interviews of, of straights and um, gays and, and lesbians and transgender and bisexuals and, and same-gender couples who were married. And it was fascinating. I'll just say one of the, one of the I think, sweet learnings I got from this is that two people uh, in different same-gender marriages, when talking about um, how did you know what your orientation is, when did you know your orientation, a man and a woman said to me, you know, I don't know if I'm a lesbian. I just know she is the person I love and want to spend my life with. And another said, I don't know if I'm gay, but he is the person I love and I want to spend my life with. And I thought, you know, what? I wish everybody could hear those sentences. Now, the group I had the hardest time um, getting to interview were straight males. Um, straight male, it was just hard to get a straight male who was willing to be interviewed on sexuality. And I, I, I wondered about this, so I commented on this to my sexual advisor, John Wooden. <laughs> and, <clears throat> I got a lot better laugh today than, than it did at 9 o'clock. And <laughs> I wish we had it on tape for John to hear. And, and, um, and John said, well, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. He said, he said, straight males are the norm in our society, and everything is defined by that norm. So straight males have never had to think about their sexuality. They've never had to explain it. They've never had to defend it. He said everybody else in our society has to explain and def defend their sexuality. Women do. Uh, lesbians do, transgender do, gays do, everybody does, except you, John. And I thought, and I thought, you know, and I think straight men are impoverished by that. And we could learn from the others in our society on that. It is hard to talk about sex. It's hard to talk about sexuality. It's embarrassing at times. It's awkward at times. We feel very vulnerable when we talk about our sexuality. Sexuality is very powerful. In the Song of Solomon, it says, love is stronger than death. Many waters cannot quench love. It's that powerful. It's more powerful than death. It's more powerful than a flood. And it's for this power 
that it has that culture, societies, and religion have tried to put boundaries around it, have tried to limit it. You know, that's where we get taboos and shaming. It's where we get the notion of clean and unclean. You know, and another word for unclean is dirty. And we talk about sex as dirty. You, know, you can watch a movie that's full of violence, a movie that's full of backstabbing, a movie that's full of greed, but it's only when there's sex in the movie that it's called dirty. You know, when you think of dirty books, dirty movies, dirty magazines, you don't think of Fortune magazine. You know, you think of, of sex because it's dirty. And because of these boundaries and limits and controls we try to put on it, you know, we, we've kind of, we've divided the body and the spirit. Where the spirit is good, it's, it's what we do in church, and, you know, the body is bad. And since sex has to do with the body, that's bad. It's dirty. That said, our language gets fuzzy. For sometimes we use religious language to describe sexual experiences, and other times we use sexual language to describe religious experiences. When we talk about ecstasy, what are we talking about? Sex or religion? When we talk about mystical union, what are we talking about, sex or religion? In Song of Solomon that uh, Dan and uh, Rhonda read so well, I, Rhonda's mother might have trouble with it. My mother would be so nervous that she'd probably just call the bishop and say, fire John now, because I can't handle the anxiety of what he's going to talk about. You know, but sometimes you hear translations saying, oh, that stuff in Song of Solomon is not about human sex. It's not about human sexuality. It's really about God's love for humanity and humanity's love for God. So we, we spiritualize it and take the body out of it. I'm going to read part of a poem today now. You shed your fragrance about me. I drew breath and now I gasp for your sweet odor. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and now I burn for you. What are they describing, religion or sex? Who wrote that, Hugh Hefner or St. Augustine? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Sex, they think, comes from the word, Latin word sicari, which means to cut, to amputate, to sever. It's from where we get section, sector, dissect, bisect, cut off, amputated. And that raises two issues 
around our sexuality. Our awareness of our sexuality, when we first become aware of that, usually makes us feel cut off and amputated and severed. I remember when I first became aware of my sexuality, feeling ashamed, embarrassed, not knowing who to talk to, certainly not my parents, certainly not anybody in the church because it was dirty. I felt alone and disconnected and alienated. That's how sexuality cuts us off. The second thing about that is our sexuality is about the many ways that we try to overcome that sense of disconnection, how we try to overcome that pain of feeling cut off. Yeah. Music can be very sexual, for it reestablishes connection, doesn't it? And it makes us feel part of a whole where we're not alienated and alone. We talk sometimes about music as an aphrodisiac. Also talk about money as an aphrodisiac and power as an aphrodisiac. But our sexuality is the ways that we try to establish connections. In the Bible, there's kind of an order of creation. And um, Brad read about it from Psalm 8. What are human beings that you are mindful of? Of them, you've, you've made human beings, God, a little less than the angels. And human beings have dominion over the animals. So we fit in between angels and animals. And that's how it is in Genesis 1 when God creates the human beings. Let us make humans in our image, God says to the heavenly court. So humans are a little less than God, and then they're given dominion over the animals, fit in in the middle. When we think of our sexuality trying to establish that connection and reestablish our connectedness to the world so we don't feel alone, sometimes we opt for the animal, where sex is instinct, it's urge, it's biology, it's just body parts. When Nick was about nine or 10, um, we had the talk. I wasn't ready for it. Uh, he surprised me, I thought I had a few more years before he started asking questions. We lived in a parsonage that had a front stairway and a back stairway, the front stairway going from the kitchen, uh, from the front door and the back stairway coming up from the kitchen. 
And it met at a landing and then united and went up to the second floor. And I was going upstairs from the front stairway, and as I was about three steps up, Nick said to me, Dad, where do babies come from? And I thought, well, this is the time. And so I said, Nick, let's just sit, sit down and we'll talk. And I said, what, tell me what your, what your questions are. So he gave me some questions, and I answered them and said some more, and he asked some more questions, and I tried to answer them, and I, I thought I did a great job. I thought I did it, you know, do you have any more questions, Nick? No. And, uh, thank you, Jesus. And, and uh, I said, okay. And, he, and I said, if you have any, any other time, just, you know, we can talk. And so he went on upstairs to his room to finish reading War and Peace in the original Russian. And, <laughs> and I went downstairs and walked into the kitchen, and I got to tell you, I was cocky. I was feeling good. And I said, well, Susan, Nick and I just talked about sex, and that's off my plate now, Susan. Ha! You still got to do it. And um, she said to me, yeah, I was listening to you on the back stairway. You didn't mention love at all. Love? Well, he asked me about sex. She said, love is important. And I said, oh, oh. The animal is loveless sex. It's just body parts. And it doesn't establish the intimacy and the connection. In fact, it can drive us further apart and be more alienating than not having sex at all. This is the problem, I think, when straight people insist on gay people having straight sex. It's alienating. And it's more isolating. It's unnatural. Sex isn't supposed to be unnatural. So that's when sex is just a drive. The other side of that is, if we're not trying to be animals, we're trying to be angels. And we deny our bodies, and we repress sex, and we suppress sex, and we do act like it's dirty, and we're, we're too spiritual. We're too good to engage in that dirty activity, and we're certainly too, too good to think about it or talk about it. And again, no intimacy, no connection is established. We're just unfeeling and cold. So we deny sex or are driven by it. But we're human beings. We're not animals and we're not angels. We're in between. We're sexual and we're spiritual. We're bodies that have spirits and we're spirits that have bodies. Our spirituality makes our sexuality responsible. And our sexuality makes our spirituality responsive. Our spirituality is about love, 
It's about compassion. It's about mercy and patience and care and kindness. And that spirituality shapes our sexuality and makes it responsible. But our sexuality makes our spirituality responsible. It's our sexuality where we enact forgiveness and mercy and kindness and patience. It's our bodies that make our spirituality real and incarnated. We need both. My spirituality shapes the person I am sexually. And my sexuality shapes the person I am spiritually. They are complementary, not opposed. Somewhere in the United Methodist wedding service, it says, in marriage is represented the union between Christ and his church. It doesn't take much tweaking to say, in sexuality is represented the connectedness between Christ and his church. It's our sexuality that shows God's love and God's patience and God's mercy to the world. For after all, God came to us in a body. We know some of what the United Methodist Discipline says about sexuality, and we fight against it and we resist it. The first two sentences of what the discipline says are these. We affirm sexuality to be God's good gift to all persons. We call everyone to responsible stewardship of God's good and sacred gift. I wish they had stopped right there because they don't need to say anything else. They don't have to get into any of the specifics on how people act out their sexuality, how they act out their spirituality. That's enough. They should have stopped right there. We affirm that sexuality is God's good gift to all persons. We call everyone to responsible stewardship of this sacred gift. Stop. And that's where I'm going to stop. May it be so. Amen.